Welcome to Chattachesis. I'm your host, Deacon Matt Hallback, PhD, and I'm also a deacon of the Diocese of Des Moines, Iowa. I'm your host of Chattachesis, a podcast series for clergy that helps them find creative and fresh ways to share the gospel message and promote missionary discipleship. This episode is brought to you by Sadler's newest catechetical series, Christ in Us and Cristo in Nosotros, which partners with families to help them play an active and meaningful role in their child's faith formation. Learn more at sadlyreligion.com forward slash CIU. Uh, happy to be with you again for another podcast. This time we're going to be talking about evangelizing relatives during Thanksgiving, <laughs> a, a seemingly impossible challenge. It's very difficult to talk about our faith with family members who are of different faith or whose own faith is flagging or whatever the situation is. They always say around the dinner table, don't discuss religion and politics. Well, I'm going to say it today on this podcast, fully to that, we're going to discuss religion and we're going to do it in a smart way, in a way that is effective and in a way that is sincere. So I hope you enjoy this podcast. And without further ado, let's jump into it. All right. So Thanksgiving time is drawing near uh, and it's time that people get together. It's a time we share meals, table fellowship, um, relatives from all over the place come and gather, and there really is a wonderful spirit about it. And it's all rooted in the name of the holiday, Thanksgiving. What some of you might not know is that Thanksgiving is also at the root of the Catholic faith, meaning in the Eucharist. Eucharist literally means Thanksgiving. Uh, so what does that tell us? Well, for Catholics, Thanksgiving time is every Sunday or every day if you go to Mass daily. We offer our worship in the form of contrition, petition, thanksgiving, and praise, and we're sent out to evangelize. Now notice that rhythm there, that process. We come to Mass, we have contrition, right? We have the initial penitential rite. We have uh, petitions where we actually, you know, the universal prayer, prayers of the faithful, we have Thanksgiving, which is the offering of the Eucharist itself, right? Eucharist means Thanksgiving. And praise, right? We sing hymns of praise. We praise God um, in our different ways, in our gestures and postures at Mass, too. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a process that points us towards being sent out, which is what Mass means, right? Intimisa est, to go forth, to be sent out. And... Uh, we're being sent out after having given thanks. See, gratitude, which is another name for Thanksgiving, gratitude puts us in the right disposition for evangelization. Like when we recall, as the Mass helps us to do, when we recall our need for God, okay, there's our penitential right. When we recall our need for God in terms of the petitions, when we recall God's goodness in terms of the readings, and when we recall God's covenant in terms of the celebration of the, of the Eucharist, the sacrifice, it puts us in that disposition of need. We recall that we are a people who are in need. And it's humbling. You know, it's humbling. It's not humiliating. It's humbling. And hum humility is a virtue. Being humbled can be a very good thing. And in the wisdom of the church, when the church humbles us through our participation of Mass as we exalt Jesus, or as John the Baptist so eloquently put it, we must decrease as Jesus must increase. It puts us in the right frame of mind because it recalls that our need for God, and perhaps it recalls those moments where we strayed from God, where we in our own life's journey uh, 
called out to God and were met by God and were helped by God. Um, so it gets it brings all that to the surface of our minds and our hearts. That's what Mass does, as much as it offers worship to God, which is right and just, as we say in the Mass. So gratitude, our memory and our admission of the things uh, that put us in need, makes our sharing of the good news more compelling. In other words, now we remember or recall to mind or at least have a feeling about the fact that we stand in need of God always and that God loves us and wants to meet us where we are and to lift us up and ultimately to save us. That makes the good news good. So it begins with gratitude. When we can recall the blessings of God, the goodness of God, we remember what we have to be thankful for. And when we remember that, then the message we share, and we're going to talk about how we share the message, i.e. the good news, the message we share becomes far more compelling than any kind of systematic treatment of it or, or like a teaching sort of approach to the faith. So that leads me to, to talk about evangelization in general. What's the best way to evangelize? Should we do it with words? Should we do it with our actions, our deeds? I'm reminded of, you know, uh, corner preachers, you know, standing on their soapbox, thumping their Bible, telling everybody when, when the end time is going to be, or telling us which groups of people are going to hell and who will be saved, and trying to encourage us to just say that uh, Jesus is our Lord and Savior. I also think when I hear the word evangelization of Mormons, believe it or not, there's something really uh, admirable about how they form uh, young men in the Mormon church. Now, I think if you don't know much about Mormonism, you probably have encountered young Mormons who are in this age of mission, which is usually between ages 18 and 20. Uh, and they're sent out on their own. Now they do congregate with other Mormons in their specific missionary territories. But their whole task for the two years that they're together is to go door to door and to share uh, the news of Joseph Smith, his good news, his message uh, of Christ and the way to salvation. Now, whether you agree with Mormons, it doesn't really matter. The point of bringing up the Mormons is that um, pro that um, initiative of sending young men out, okay, late teens, early 20s, to go door to door. First of all, what an incredible, not to mention incredibly difficult, but what an incredible formative experience. We can guess that more times than not, doors are slammed in their face. <laughs> doors are unanswered when they knock. Uh, they receive leers and jeers and glares and glowers. Uh, that's hard for anybody to deal with, even the most seasoned or veteran uh, missionary disciple. But here these guys are, again, in their late adolescence, early young adulthood, and they're doing this. So what is the point of it? Because statistically speaking, Mormons don't get a lot of con converts from these door-to-door -door, uh, initiatives. They do get converts, but that's generally not the primary way they get them. So why does the Mormon church continue to send these young men out on mission? So they can have that experience of being humbled, having doors slammed, being rejected, uh, doors unanswered, uh, the glowers and jeers and leers, etc. And it confirms them. To, to get through all of that kind of confirms them in their faith. They're either going to sink or swim, right, as, as lifelong Mormons. And most of them swim. 
And so it's a very formative experience for those young Mormon missionaries, or they call themselves elders. And so that's another kind of way that I think about evangelization when I hear that word. But I want to convince you, my good audience, that evangelization is far more multifaceted. Yes, there are Bible thumpers on street corners. Yes, there are those who go door to door and, and talk about the message of Jesus. But there's also just how we conduct ourselves, right? How we conduct ourselves as disciples, our own personal witness, how we carry ourselves. We're talking about comportment now. We don't even use that word much anymore, but just, you know, sort of bodily etiquette, um, how we treat people. All these things factor into uh, the, the veracity, the truthfulness, and the power of our own witness or testimony about Jesus and his good news. Let's put it this way. I recall when I was a little kid, and I love my mom, so don't get me wrong, but she was a single mother and uh, had a certain way of doing things. And I remember one, you know, I was probably like five or six, and I had the chore of unloading the dishwasher. I might have been seven. But anyway, I am, I'm unloading it and I'm trying to put stuff away. And my mom's like, what are you doing? That's not where that stuff goes. This goes here. This goes there. You know, da 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 da. And, and I felt really bad because I had not done, done this right. And I said, I'm sorry, mom. And I was about ready to cry. And she goes, well, what are you crying for? Don't you know I love you? And her face kind of looks strained and, and you can tell she's frustrated and she's upset. And, uh, as a, you know, whatever I was, five, six, seven years old, it's hard to put those two things together. Don't you know I love you? With her brow furrowed, you know, and just a lot of strain in her cheeks and, and in her forehead. Uh, that's not a typical face we make when we express love, right? So that little, those little um, encounters or incidences, or let's face it, missed opportunities to evangelize happen all the time, every day. And they happen so quickly in these social interchanges. Um, if we're not prepared, if we're not aware of how we are carrying ourselves and how we're treating to another person, how we're speaking to them, even down to our eye contact, whether we're offering it or not, all this communicates a language, a language of, of whether, we're not, whether we are in fact um, uh, hospitable, uh, kind perhaps, uh, sincere and sincerely interested in the other person, um, credible. Uh, all these things are, are, are factored into, again, whether or not our, our message about Jesus comes across as true and real and influential. So it's interesting because I'm not the first person to talk about the importance of our witness. There's, we've, we've heard about that going all the way back to, to the New Testament and uh, Paul constantly urging um, the churches that he writes letters to. How, how to carry themselves, how to encourage one another, to build each other up, to, to give each other a, a positive witness, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Jesus talking about, they will know you are my disciples by the love you show one another. Um, that's Our witness is the most powerful, potent um, means for communicating the good news of Jesus Christ and communicating it in an effective, influential way. In 1975, uh, St. Pope Paul VI wrote a uh, really a, a landmark document on evangelizing in the modern world. And there's a line in there where he talks about and distinguishes between teachers and witnesses. And he says that 
um, witnesses, we need, we need more witnesses than teachers. And that's a bold claim. And especially in our society today where, you know, uh, education is kind of under attack. Uh, there's how, how kids should be educated is being debated vigorously. Um, the, the role of technology in education, the effectiveness of education, public and private. Uh, so there's, there's just a lot of, um, it's, it's a hot button issue, but, you know, recognizing that, um, to say that we need more witnesses than teachers, uh, what is he getting at? Well, he finishes his thought saying that people believe witnesses more than they do teachers. And if they believe teachers, St. Pope Pius VI says, it's because those teachers are already witnesses. So what is he telling us? He's telling us that education is important. He's telling us though, that our witness, and I'm speaking to the educators, the witness they give as they educate is also just as important as the content they're communicating. So we jump from that document, again, 1975, all the way up to 2013. Not that nothing was said about how we uh, carry ourselves or how we relate to others as disciples, but there's a, another wonderful document and in it a very interesting colloquialism. So we're, we're now in 2013, the joy of the gospel from Pope Francis. The entire document is a call to come back uh, to retrieve, to put at the center of evangelization, uh, the gospel message, and at the center of catechesis also, which Francis refers to as charismatic or evangelizing catechesis. And in, the, in that document, he says, we don't need any sourpusses in the church. I don't think in the history of papal documents, there's been a word like sourpuss, a colloquialism like that. You know, we don't need any sourpusses in the church. And why not? Because sourpusses repel people. How many people would want to join the Catholic Church if the people who are, are standing at the entrance all look miserable? <laughs> they look frustrated. They look bored. They look uninterested. Now, that doesn't make me want to join. I remember way back when I was in um, seminary and a priest friend of mine uh, just did a wedding. I served it. And then we went to the reception and he <laughs> took me over to this table of priests. Now, to be fair, these were older priests and I think most of them were retired, but you look at them and they, at this reception hall, they look so tired. They look so bored. They look so uninterested. Uh, and father, the father, my friend was father. Mike was like, Ooh, I, I later on, I thought, man, I probably shouldn't have had you spent so much time with that group, <laughs> especially since you'd just begun your journey uh, to the priesthood. So, uh, but you get my point, right? And we get Pope Francis' point. We don't need sourpusses. Sourpusses don't attract people to the church. And it reinforces the point that I'm trying to make, which is discipleship is a life lived in relationship, not only with God, but with our neighbor. What we say, how we speak to people, how we treat them, all factors in to the effectiveness of our message. So let's get down to the nitty gritty, right? We're talking about evangelizing folks, come, uh, our folks, your folks, relatives who'll be gathering at Thanksgiving. Uh, you, maybe you've tried this before to share your faith in a meaningful way at a, at a family gathering. You've probably experienced how difficult it is. Well, you're in great company because Jesus himself 
had a very difficult time uh, evangelizing uh, relatives. And we'll just go to the Gospels themselves. So in Mark chapter 3, verse 21, it reads, Then Jesus went home, and once again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples couldn't even eat. When his family heard about this, they went out to take custody of him, saying, He's out of his mind! And the scribes who had come down from Jerusalem were saying, He's possessed by Beelzebul. Isn't that something that <laughs> Jesus' own family members here probably reading as relatives or kinsmen, but to say he's out of his mind. You know, he's ecstatic in the Greek, literally ecstasy, where we get this idea of, we think of ecstasy in terms of feelings or pleasure, but in the, the literal meaning is, is, is to be out of one's shoes, you know, to be out of the state of mind. So another place in the gospel is John 7, 5. And it says, for even his own brothers, Jesus, for even his own brothers didn't believe him. And in Matthew chapter 13, verses 57 to 58, and it reads, and this, by the way, occurs in Nazareth, just like in Mark chapter 3, verse 21, Nazareth being Jesus' hometown. And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, only in his hometown and in his own household is a prophet without honor. And he didn't do many miracles there because of their unbelief. So friends, if you're having a hard time uh, sharing your faith and witnessing to your faith around relatives and family members, take, take uh, solace in the fact that Jesus had a hard time too. So how can we evangelize our family members and relatives this Thanksgiving? So I've got five steps for you. Step one, and this is really important, show you appreciate their company. Show you, you appreciate your guest's company, or if you're the guest, show you appreciate your host's uh, invitation and hospitality. And when you say it or express it, I want to note a really important linguistic difference here. We often say things like, glad you're here. But I would challenge you to say, I'm grateful you came. Or I'm grateful you're with us or here today, however you wish to phrase it. But grateful being the important term. Look at the difference. I'm glad you're here. I'm grateful you came. Glad you're here. It puts the focus on my own sort of happiness, my own feeling of, of happiness and pleasure that you are here. Whereas grateful puts the focus on my acknowledgement that if you were not here, that I would be lacking something. So it it, it just seems like a, a real slight difference. Like it almost seems like we're playing at semantics here. But the reality is that that we're grateful. Think about what I said earlier about gratitude and humility. It puts us in a position of acknowledging our need. And it lets the, your guests know that you need them there. And if they weren't there, then there, you would be missing out that, that, that somehow this fest of this feast would not be quite complete. So that's my first challenge to you. Show appreciation of the company that you have, or if you're the guest, appreciation of the host and their hospitality. Try to work in that word grateful and, 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 watch, and watch how people sort of notice, take notice of it. Step two. Let's be kind and generous, all right? We used to say kill them with kindness. Well, we're not going to say that, but we are going to say convert with kindness, all right? We don't need sourpusses in the church, as Pope Francis says, but we do need to show our generosity and our kindness. Get involved, you know, help out, help to prepare the meal, help to clean, volunteer in different ways. Don't just be someone who receives this Thanksgiving. Be someone who gives. 
um, and not only giving in terms of your presence, you know, and, and yes, I understand sometimes people drive a long ways and that's quite a sacrifice or you fly a long ways and, and that's also quite a sacrifice, but get involved there. You know, let those who are hosting you see you be involved, not in an insincere way, not trying to ingratiate yourself, but you're trying to offer a witness of your authentic, sincere generosity. We're going to convert people with kindness. Step three, attend to reconciliation if it's needed, you know, between you and other family members or, or relatives. If there are outstanding angers, God forbid, hatreds, hatreds uh, or bitter feelings, if there is a way to take care of it, if there is an opening to bring it up and maybe need to pull a relative or family member aside, have a conversation, you know, in a in another room or outside the house or whatever it is, do it. Avoid, you got to avoid as much as possible any outstanding bitterness or hurt feelings. Uh, if reconciliation needs to happen, get involved with it. If there's a problem between you and a sibling or you and a relative, take care of it as best you can. Address it. Admit your, your sadness about it if you're the one at fault. Um, or if you're not the one at fault, you have a huge opportunity, if you sincerely mean it, to open an invitation to forgiveness, uh, to bring up a conversation with someone in the family who's wronged you or slighted you in some way, and to begin to reconcile. I, I promise you, if, if you avail yourself of these opportunities to reconcile, it can have huge transforming impacts on the other person or people gathered, not to mention yourself. Step four, pray together. Ask people to pray for you. So we always do the prayer, I mean, always, but sometimes we just do bless us, O Lord, and these like gifts, or sometimes we go around the table and they say what we're thankful for. Another opportunity to say how grateful you are that your guests are with you, or that you're there at another family member's house, and, and how grateful you are that they invited you and, and their hospitality they showed you. But pray together and ask, ask them to pray for you. Maybe you're praying one-on-one -on -one or maybe you're praying around the table. Say, I, I want to pray for everybody here, but I'd also ask you to pray for me. I really need your prayers. Uh, and you don't have to go to confession to them as to why you need their prayers, but you're, you're showing how much you value your family and relatives by asking them for their prayers, right? Rather than you saying, well, I'll pray for you and you and this and so. So you're, you're kind of taking the low, the, the, the high road here, so to speak. Um, you're putting the focus on them and the power of their prayers. And finally, follow up with them after the holiday. So don't let the holiday be a one and done. Now, don't let Thanksgiving come and, and fill your belly. And then we just wait till Christmas. And maybe we gather with the same people or different people. After the holiday, if you if you've worked these steps, Follow up, follow up with the host, or maybe you, you started a great conversation with another family member, got a little deep with them. Continue that conversation. Don't be afraid. Reach out. And that's probably the biggest um, hurdle for people in evangelizing family members is you get ready to do it and you pick the date. Maybe it's going to be this Thanksgiving. You try whatever you're going to try, but then there's no follow through. Well, I don't know about you, but Jesus spent three years trying to evangelize the people in and around Jerusalem, in some places with great effect, and in others, especially his hometown, not so great effect. Uh, but there is multiple sort of 
moments or points of contact with people, not just one one meal. So follow up, and that could make all the difference for, for you this holiday. Well, this has been another episode of Chattachesis. We've been talking about evangelizing family members around the Thanksgiving table. We talked about the connection between evangelization and Thanksgiving. We talked about how it was difficult for Jesus to evangelize his own family and relatives. Um, and we talked about some steps that could be helpful for you this Thanksgiving to not only speak the good news, but to share it through your own witness of love and kindness. So as we do at the end of every episode, uh, we offer a prayer for all of our listeners. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Good and gracious God, we thank you for all that you do. We thank you for uh, all that you are. Help us to be humble enough to recall our need of you, to be thankful for, for all you do and all you are. And help us to witness to our gratitude to others, not only this Thanksgiving, but every day of our lives. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been another episode of Chattachesis. I'm your host, Deacon Matt Hallback. I'll chat with you next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Chattachesis. Head over to sadlyreligion.com forward slash podcast to hear more. And don't forget to request your sample and trial of Christ in Us and our bilingual edition, Cristo in Nosotros, at sadlyreligion.com forward slash CIU.